Amen. I was sitting at the Riverwalk Cafe in the one section, which is around the backside. If you've been there, there's a big window, and right there is the sidewalk. And he was walking back and forth. It was very obvious that he was disturbed. He had a package in his hand, and he, and he kept walking back and forth. He was upset about something, and, but most notably what I saw was he was talking to himself. And he kept going back and forth. He was agitated, and he'd go this way. He'd look up, and every once in a while, he'd look right in that window. And I was on the other side of that window. There was just glass between him and I, and there's a door right there. And I think they keep it locked, but I don't know if they keep it locked. But all I thought was, I don't want him to come through that door. I was feeling very uncomfortable as I watched this man go back and forth. He was talking to himself. And I thought, if he comes through that door, I'm going to have to have this conversation where whatever he's having a conversation about, I'm going to have to have the conversation. And I felt uncomfortable. What do you feel when you see someone talking to themselves? And maybe they're coming in your direction, and I don't know, you probably don't do this, but I feel tempted to like not have eye contact right? Or maybe physically to avoid them, to go around, because when we see people talking to us, we're talking to themselves, we're typically leery of people like that, concerned about people like that. But what if I told you that talking to yourself may be one of the healthiest things you can do? that it may actually be good for your soul. Now let me give you some good news. We can get away with talking ourselves to, to ourselves very easily in our world today. Because oftentimes I pull up alongside someone and they'll be in an animated conversation. And of course I say what? They're on the phone, right? Because of, of uh, hands-free devices and such. So all you have to do is have a robust conversation with yourself in your car. And people are going to say, just on the phone, right? But some days in this ordinary life cause us to scratch our heads and talk to ourselves. Now, they say you need to be worried when you start answering yourself, and that's probably true. But last year in England, researchers concluded that talking to yourself may actually be a good sign. Now, we're not talking about talking to yourself as it was very clear the man I saw was probably talking to himself out of some delusion or some mental illness, perhaps. That's not what we're talking about here. But think about for a moment athletes. In this day of wired sports where athletes are usually wired for sound, we will often hear them talk about pep-talking themselves up so that they can perform better, whether it's in a little group of guys who are just kind of trying to encourage each other or one single athlete who just keeps talking to themselves. The researchers concluded this. Dr. Paloma Mavribafa says this. The benefits of talking to yourself may come from simply hearing oneself as auditory commands seem to be better controllers of behavior than written ones. Think about that. And then this, 
Even if we talk to ourselves to gain control during challenging tasks, performance substantially improves when we do it out loud. What a statement that is. The bottom line is that the proper self-talk can perhaps lead to having better control of our behavior and, in fact, improved performance. Now, now I know what the researchers were thinking. I know what they were focusing on. I know what most people will think of when we start talking about this. They will think about improvement on the athletic field or some way to excel in academics or maybe to be a success in business. But what about living with a life that is preoccupied with the extraordinary God in our ordinary days? What about improving how we live for God, especially when it is really challenging? What if, what if, what I really need is a pep talk for my soul. There was a man in Florida who had lived in the same home for decades. Decades. Then in 2013, one day he was walking around his home. And a giant sinkhole opened up underneath the foundation. And it swallowed his house and him and took his life. True story. Another reason why I don't want to move to Florida. <laughs> they have sinkholes, right? What happened was this, where no one else could see, there was water that was eroding the limestone earth until there was this huge void and the house simply collapsed under the weight because the foundation was no longer adequate to support it. But this is the key. All of that was happening where no one else could see it. Gordon MacDonald coined the phrase the sinkhole syndrome to describe what happens to a person's life that just seems to give away. Maybe it's a family crisis, maybe it's a diagnosis, maybe it's a work issue, maybe it's a word of criticism, or maybe for no apparent reason at all. The soul becomes like a sinkhole. What do we do with that? Gordon MacDonald goes on and he says, Our private world is often cheated, neglected, because it does not shout quite so loudly as the outer world that we're so prone to be tempted to live in alone. Then he says this, it can be effectively ignored. Your soul can be effectively ignored for large periods of time before it gives way to a sinkhole-like cave in. See, that story reminds me that my soul, as some have said, my soul is the operating system of my life. It's the operating system of my life and my soul, because it is that, it needs some attention. So today, in our, in our journey of thinking about our extraordinary, ordinary days in this summer series, we're going to look at Psalms 42 and 43 together. 
to help us consider an extraordinary focus. Uh, what's happening is there's a conversation taking place in Psalm 42 and 43. It's a very specific conversation. It's a conversation the psalmist is having with his very own soul. And in some ways, it points to how our self-talk can really help us in our faith journey, or perhaps if we lack it, it could hurt us in our faith journey, especially when it comes, especially when it comes to the pressure points of life. And that's what the psalmist is facing. Now, we don't know the circumstances about this, but we do know this. We know this prayerful song comes out of need for God in a hard place. We know that. And so stand with me this morning and let's read together as God's people the first four verses of Psalm 42. Let's read together. Here we go. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Hold on a minute. Let's try to read this as you think the psalmist is feeling it. Right? Because there's an awful lot of hunger here. We'll talk about that. Let's read it. Here we go. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Lord, we pray, God, that you would just draw near to us. And that, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And that, Lord, today, today, you would speak into the operating systems of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here's the truth. The truth is, we are all straining with our whole being for God. Whether or not we acknowledge that, whether or not we even know that, this is common to all. It's common to all. Another thing that's common to all is the sense of God's absence. Over the centuries, we've heard of great people of God writing about this. There was a man we referred to as St. John of the Cross who wrote about the dark night of the soul, right? But if you remember a few years ago, there was great controversy when the letters of Mother Teresa were released. Letters and writings of Mother Teresa were released. And there was great controversy over it because, because as people began to read it, they, they, they were reading these letters she was writing and talking about this great absence of God, this sense of the absence of God. And the world started looking and saying, see, where is God? And yet, we see in the psalmist this sense of the absence of God as something common. And here's what's important to note about that. It is this sense of the absence of God that drives this hunger, if you will, this longing 
Because you see, these psalms we're looking at today, Psalm 41 and 42 and 43, these psalms are rooted in the ordinary troubles of life. There is not one specific historical experience or individuals that this refers to, as we said. But what we have here is this is the experience of the human experience. Even Jesus recognized that. Remember the words from John 16, 33, when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Don't forget the second part of that. He has overcome the world. But also, he makes you and me a promise that we wish he didn't make to us. In this world, you will have trouble. So how do we deal with that? Well, the psalmist tells us we deal with this one way is with a conversation with our souls. Verse three times in two psalms, three times, we hear these words, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I would invite you today to read Psalm 42 and 43 together. If you get a chance some point today, read both of them together because it's clear that they were either at one time one psalm that was divided or Psalm 43 was written to add on to Psalm 42. But what you will see is this. The psalmist speaks from the deepest place of the self. This is not, this is not superficial here. He is speaking from the deepest place of the self. His self-talk is not with any pretense. He is just laying it out to God. Pastor Mary, Pastor Mary refers to it as this, the open soul conversation that really causes the heart to bleed. Can I ask you, have you had an open soul conversation with God that causes your heart to bleed? I think we're so, so superficial when it comes to this. Is this something missing in my world, in your world, in our world of immediate information access and social media posts that project and project an image that is not real? That we live at such a superficial level? I wonder if we treat our souls the same way we treat Twitter. What is the limit of characters on Twitter? For those of you who are tweeting... What's the limit? Nope. 280. It used to be 140. When the limit was 140, the average size tweet was 34 characters. They moved the limit to 280, and the average size tweet is now 33 characters. I wonder if we treat our souls like this. We, we live at this superficial level. And I wonder, is that the case because we do not have a safe place where we can speak of these deep places, this open soul conversation? But this psalm, this psalm, these psalms teach us that we are ever so safe in the presence of God. We can bring to God our gut-wrenching cries, our unanswered questions, our nagging doubts, our deep heartaches. Where's the safe place for a soul's despair? Where is it? 
The psalmist says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God. But this soul talk is not simply a self-pep talk aimed at helping us be better and more successful at using our own abilities to accomplish what we want. This isn't just a, let me pull up my bootstraps and I'm going to do it better. In Psalm 42 and 43, the reality is we don't see success. In Psalm 42 and 43, we see no answer. In Psalm 42, 43, there is no outward success story here. None. No great religious success story. And if that's not part of ordinary life, I'm not sure what is. So it's not about success. It's not about how successful I can be with my religious life. It's not about how well I can do. It's not even about if I can figure it out. But rather, this is purely a statement of faith and hope in God. These psalms are not a declaration of what God has done. And in that, we see this ever-present tension of the now, of God with us, and the not quite yet. The now and not yet of the kingdom of God. We live in that tension. He, God is with us, and yet there's so much more we lack, and the world lacks. And the now and not yet kingdom of God, especially when the world and ourselves ask, as the psalmist says, where is your God? We get asked that question every day. Whether in the media, in the culture, in the neighborhood, sometimes within our own souls. Where are you, God? Here's that now and not yet tension. The psalmist reveals it. Look what he says in verse 9, 42. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. There is the now, and here's the not yet. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? In one minute, he's saying, my God, you're, you're with me. This is who you are, but why have you forgotten me? The now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We live, we all live in that tension. But what the self-talk does for us, the self-talk for the soul serves as a corrective to the prevailing narratives of cultural voices that do not support a commitment of faith. Where is your God? The psalmist's answer to that is, let me tell you about my God, even in the midst. God is the place of comfort and peace, not after the struggle. Don't look for the God of comfort and peace after the struggle. It's not after the struggle or after the pain of life, but as we, living in true faith, live within the tension of it, knowing that we have this God who cares for us and is mindful of us, as we saw in Psalm 8 last week, even while we live in the dark places of this earthly life where suffering can be disheartening and where we don't have answers. This soul talk recalls where hope and help truly lie for us. And I wonder... Maybe I need to have this pep talk with the soul every day. Maybe you do. And in truth, when you think about prayer, prayer implies a good talking to ourselves. 
to get our focus on God. And that's what the psalmist does. In these two psalms, 22 times, the psalmist declares who God is to him. 22 times. It's a statement of faith. And as often is the case of life preoccupied with God in the ordinary, the hunger for his presence in the pain of his absence is evidence of our faith. Hear that again. Our hunger and our longing and our want of God even in the pain and the heartache and the difficulty of feeling like God has abandoned us is evidence of our robust faith. The psalmist describes God, but he describes him in the middle of describing tears, loneliness, sleeplessness. He says, my tears have become my food. He can't even eat. Longing, depression, lament, criticism, physical pain, discouragement. In two Psalms, he lays all that out. And in the middle of all that, he describes God. Not in some nice, safe ivory tower. And this is how he describes God in the middle of all that. He calls him my God, the living God my Savior, the God of my life, God my rock, God my stronghold, God my joy and my delight. These very personal and relational names of God, even though there are no answers. Even though there's no resolution to the psalmist's troubles. Even though there's no relief from his circumstances. But what we see is this deep, deep, deep hunger emerging from his soul. Those beautiful words we read, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Do you see the image of this? This, is, this isn't a deer that's just hanging out in a nice meadow. This is a deer who's out of breath, who's panting, who's parched, who's running hard, probably in the psalmist's mind, who's being chased by an enemy. And I thought to myself early today, I wonder how many of our souls are going to come here today and we're out of breath. How many souls are out of breath? We, we, we are going at breakneck speed in the soul all the time. We're living at such a supernatural level, going at breakneck speed where our souls are panting. Oh, that we could just have one good drink of God. And the truth is, isn't one of the greatest blessings of the dark place this longing? This longing that comes out of our faith where everything is dark and we're, we feel like we're left alone or we have failed beyond repair. Or we're just not sure we can overcome this again. And we just long for God. We don't feel a speck of him. And we long for him. Isn't that one of the great blessings? I think Jesus 
says that to us. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 5, 6 this way. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Dallas Willard put it this way. You are not just a self, you are a soul. That's really important. You're a soul made by God, made for God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. You're a soul made by God and made for God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient, though self-sufficiency is the deepest pull of our egos in the world we live in here. In 21st century American culture, the biggest pull on our egos at times is self-sufficiency. And yet, and yet, maybe this is the entire point of these two psalms. Maybe this is the extraordinary discovery for our ordinary days, our ordinary lives, that we are not made to be self-sufficient. We try, we try, we sure try, but we're not wired that way. We're not made for it. Maybe that's why our souls get so out of breath. We're not made to be self-sufficient. Here's the secret. Are you ready? Three words. We need God. Can you say that with me? We need God. Amen. We need God. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 43. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and delight. I will praise you with the leer, O God, my God. Let them lead me. We need God, but there's another piece of this, this self-sufficiency piece that this psalm is very much so trying to tell us. We also need each other. You see, one aspect of these psalms culturally is the recognition that finding the presence of God meant getting to the temple. And so we hear the psalmist say, when can I meet with God? We, we, we understand as we study the psalms, these psalms, that one of the problems, one of the challenges for this psalmist is he can't get to the temple. And for him, that's critical because for him and his culture and his thinking and his people, it was getting to the temple where you found the presence of God. Listen to what he says. People say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. What a wonderful picture that is. You see, this is not just a matter of taking care of my soul internally. That's there. That's true. We don't want to have a sinkhole of a soul, do we? But you see, this is a matter of fully engaging God within myself and with others. In this worshiping community, in this worshiping community, 
As I seek to be preoccupied with God and I seek to be rescued from a preoccupation with myself, something happens to my soul. My soul grows knitted together with other souls and there, as the psalmist says, I find the protection of the mighty one. Because here's the deal. One of the greatest military strategies is isolation and destruction. If you can be isolated, it's, it's from military strategies to wolves taking down sheep. If we can get you by yourself, get you thinking on your own, get you away from the people of God, get you away from the community of God, gotcha. And so what this psalm teaches me as well is this. Your soul needs this place. My soul needs this place. Whether or not you feel that way, whether or not you think that way, whether I feel that way or think that way, some mornings I wake up on Sunday morning and it's my job to preach and I go, I don't know that I want to go to church today. <laughs> what happens if I just said, Pastor Mike, I don't want to go to church today. You're on. And don't think that all of us are not tempted that way, right? Come on. But your soul needs this place. And if you're not actively part of this place, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about the beams and the wood and the, and the chairs. and There's nothing magical about the instruments and even the music. Or even the sermons. But it's as we come together, something happens. And the psalmist says that there's the protection of the mighty one in the festive throng. And we find strength. We find encouragement. And sometimes we find correction. And sometimes we find someone who walks the journey with us. So... What do you need to say to your soul today? At this point, I think there's a very important word spoken by John Ortberg, who wrote the book Soul Keeping. You need to read that book if you've not read that book. And if you can't order that book right now, you send us a note, we'll get you that book. We have extra copies of that book. He writes this. It's not about perfection. It's not about adequacy. It's not about your competence. It's about holding on to God because the soul was made to be connected with him. Holding on to a heavenly father who will hold your soul's pain, its fear, its anxiety. This is spiritual life to place the soul each moment in the presence and care of God. What a good word that is for me today. So what do you need to say to your soul this morning? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Our worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us 
in a modern rendition of a very, very old song. In fact, just about everyone here probably is familiar with this name, Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford, in the mid-19th century, was a very established, uh, successful businessman. In fact, Horatio Spafford was a lawyer, and he had created this incredibly successful practice. And then what he did was Horatio Spafford bought real estate, and he became this very wealthy individual in Chicago. If you remember what happened in 1871 in Chicago, it was the Great Chicago Fire. And literally overnight, literally overnight, Horatio Spafford lost everything in that fire. His entire fortune gone. But that's not the whole story. Two years before this, it was clear that Spafford began to live a Job life because two years before this, his son died. And his parent grieved the death of his son. Then in 1871, lost everything in a fire. And so it had been a tough few years for the Spafford family. So in 1873, Horatio Spafford wanted his family to have a rest. Just like you do, just like I do. Just we want to go for vacation. Just want to get a rest. So he arranged for them to take a trip to Europe. And so they were all prepared, but just days before the trip, suddenly some unexpected business had to be attended to, and Spafford was not able to go. So he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him on the trip, and he stayed behind. And so as the ship was making its way to Europe, it was struck by an English vessel named the Loch Hearn. And the ship that was carrying Spafford's wife and four daughters sank in 12 minutes. And as was the communication process in a day like that day, there was no tweeting, this is what's happening. He had to wait. You would have to wait until a ship got to the other side to get word. And so finally, several days later, those who survived got to Cardiff, Wales. And it was from Cardiff, Wales, that Spafford's wife cabled her husband two words, and these were those two words, saved alone. And his four daughters, could you imagine that, dads? His four daughters died. Like any man, like any husband, like any father, Spafford left immediately to join his wife. And what history tells us is as that ship was making its way to get to his grieving wife, imagine the heartache over time. It took days. They got to the spot, and this is what they said. This is where the ship went down. And here he was standing over the burial ground for his four daughters. The winds and the waves and the ocean And they say it is there that he penned the words to this song. Not in the safety of a church sanctuary, 
Not in the success of all these things we think are success. He had it all. He had everything we think of when we think someone has it all. He had it all. Not in that context. But standing over the burial ground of his four daughters, he penned the words and he shouted to his soul. And for all to hear him, he shouted, it is well with my soul. In the midst of that. So in a moment, you're going to actually sing these words in this rendition of It Is Well by Christine DeMarco. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. I guess I'm passionate about this today. I find myself having to shout into the wind. Do you? I guess I, I find that my soul seems out of breath sometimes. And I need to shout into the wind. I need to shout to my soul. It is well. Not because we feel it. Not because we've accomplished it not because it makes sense, but because if I am a follower of Jesus, it is true. And that's what Spafford came to. Because Spafford, like the psalmist, said, this is my God. Spafford, like the psalmist, said, this is my joy and my delight, this God of mine. Spafford, like the psalmist, said, he is the living God, even as he stared down a Job-like life, son died, lost everything he had, four daughters died. And he died himself 10 years later, died one year older than me. He died when he was 60. So I ask you today, what do you need to say to your soul? What do you need to let go of and trust him with? Oh, my soul, what conversations do you need to have today? Not with me. Not with someone around you. But with your soul. That's when you can talk to yourself. Are you downcast? Why so disturbed within you? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so may we go from this place, standing on the God who is our rock. May we go from this place and put our hope in the God who can be trusted, the God who will never leave us nor forsake us, the God whose love we cannot be separated from through Christ Jesus, the God who is for us, the God who goes with us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we go and may we put our hope 
in God, our Savior and our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you greet one another in the name of our God who keeps us 